Welcome to the podcast. I'm Isaac Carroll, and this is What Do I Know? Thank you for joining me once again. We are continuing our search and our journey in discovery of the Trinity. In the last episode, we discussed the image of God, who we know as Jesus Christ, and how that image took on the form of man. This episode, I would like to discuss with you the identity of God, the Almighty, who is the Ancient of Days, our Sovereign Lord, the All-Knowing, the All-Seeing, Everlasting to Everlasting, the Creator, the Provider, and the Righteous Judge, the Only True God, our Heavenly Father. Now, for us to be able to discuss the identity of God, we must first agree on how we are going to define identity. In the world we live in today, we've seemed to have a crisis of identity. It would almost seem like we lost our own and we are trying to claim anyone we feel. The problem with that is that identity isn't what you feel, it's who you are. Not what you can relate to. Those things, they they can change, but God never changes. Psalms 102 and 25 says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like garments. Like clothing, you will change them. And they will be passed on, but you will remain the same, and your years will never end. Malachi 3.6 says, Because I, the Lord, do not change. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Psalms 90 and 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. We may look for things that define us, but God is the definer. He is the one who gives us purpose. I thought to myself, how am I supposed to talk about the Father without talking about all the aspects of the Father, about his image and his spirit? Because these make up part of the Father. And there are so many things that we do not know about the Father, but his characteristics are plain to see. Not only in Scripture, but by the amazing world we live in. I mean, tell me, who among us hasn't been caught speechless at a particular sunset or sunrise? Been captivated by some mountain vista or view? Or felt calmed by the rolling of the waves while looking out over the ocean? I myself could spend days describing some of the wonders that I have witnessed in my life. And every one of those were the work of his hands. You know, when I studied the heavens and I learned the magnitude of space and the size of our solar system and and all the solar systems that are out there, and my mind just cannot grasp how large it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond comprehension. And then we find that God is so large that All those heavens, all that cannot contain him. That's the size of our God. I mean, don't we serve a mighty God? Now, I have set the tone. Let us search scripture and understand some of the characteristics of God, the Father. Isaiah 6 and 1 says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with the other two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
and all the earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hands was glowing coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now what were those angels saying about God? It's funny, we were just discussing this in my Sunday school class a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the defining characteristics of God. And the, the most defining characteristic of God is that he's holy. How holy is he? The angels themselves said that he was holy, holy, holy. Now, we want to describe something in our language. We add an adjective. It helps describe the word a little better. And when we say something like something's beautiful, we say it's very beautiful. And if that doesn't describe it enough, we say, well, it's very, very beautiful. And if that still isn't enough, we will say it's very, very, very beautiful. Each time we say it, we're expressing how much more significant it is. Well, this is what the angels are doing in God's presence. They're shouting, holy, 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 three times, because three is a number of completion, saying God is completely holy. Now, what does holy mean? Holy means sacred and set apart. God's not common. He's not, he's not like anything else. He is the only true God. There is none like him. There was none before and there will be none after. He is all. Holy also means pure, morally and just, righteous. It is said that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. You can find that in James 1 and 5. God is so holy and pure that just laying eyes on him made Isaiah feel damned because of his uncleanness. And this is the defining characteristic of God. All the other traits are highlighted from this very point, from this very fact. I have tried really hard to come up with an example of what this might look like, but truthfully, nothing compares. Our eyes and our minds cannot comprehend the holiness and the pureness of God. It is my belief that this is why Jesus himself said this in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, has made him known. How can our unclean eyes see the brilliance and glory of God? How can we even perceive such a thing? 1 Timothy 6.15 says this, Which the blessed and only sovereign one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, will bring about in his own time, he alone is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen him, nor can anyone see him. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That's why it took Jesus himself to come and make him known. We can never truly grasp the love and pureness of God without first seeing the nature of God and his love for us played out in the life and sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God. It also further explains why the image of God had to take on the form of man, of sinful man. He had to take on this form. God is so holy and pure that sin cannot be found in his presence. 
So his image took on the form of man, so that he that knew no sin became sin for us. The separation was necessary so God could take on our sin, to pay the price that we could not pay, to redeem us to himself. That thought alone should just bring us to tears. That the creator God, the one that is so vast that heaven and earth cannot even contain him, who formed everything by the power of his might. This great God, this all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God loved us enough that he made a way for himself to take on the very sin that we have and the very punishment we deserve so that we could be brought into his presence. It's truly mind-blowing. Now, we see this part of his nature and it stands in very harsh contrast to the righteousness of God. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is defined as being completely just. To be completely fair. To be justified in everything. God is the righteous judge. Meaning he shows no favoritism. He can't be bought off. His motives are pure and just. That's why he gave us the commandments and law so that we could understand the depth of our sin. When people break those commandments and teach others to do so, God judges correctly people's hearts. And when we sin against God, we are separating ourselves from God, who can't be in the presence of sin. His very nature would burst forth upon us and consume us with his righteous indignation because of our selfish sin. And this brings me to the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is made manifest by the indignation of God. How can we be reconciled to him when we do not even repent from the very acts that separate us from him to begin with? Psalms 45 says, starting in verse 6, says this, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever, and justice is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, and you have hated wickedness. Psalm 7, starting in verse 8, says, The Lord judges the people. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and integrity. Put an end to the evil of the wicked, but establish the righteous, O righteous God who searches hearts and minds. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation each day. If one does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He has bent and strung his bow. So where there is righteousness, there's also judgment, which leads to wrath. Nahum 1, 2 through 6 says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is a whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and he dries up all the rivers. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces. Romans 1 and 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Galatians 6, starting in verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not to be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap in return. The one who sows to please his flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. 
But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. And we can't talk about the holiness of God and the righteousness of God, which brings on the wrath of God, without talking about the love of God. Now, I touched on this a little earlier when I talked about how God made a way to take on our sin. We all know that famous verse, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's a reflection of how God is, who is love. First John 4 and 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. First John 4 and 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Now we've looked up holiness and we've looked up righteousness. But what does love mean? 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 through 8 expresses what love is to God. And it says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude and it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no account of wrongs. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. So we know that God is holy and righteous and true, and God is love. Now, all three of these characteristics are equally true about God. No one characteristic is more substantial than the other. That's why it says he's holy, holy, holy. And I was just thinking to myself, which one of these characteristics has most affected me and my relationship with him? And at one time I would have said fear because I used to be scared of wrath. But I would have to say it was love. Love has won me over because love is patient and kind because it keeps no account of wrongs. And in my life, I've had many And he has set me free from them all. His love and perseverance on my behalf is something I can only try to explain, but it wouldn't even come close to the experience. When you actually sit back and grasp the magnitude that is God, that he cares about me and he cares about you, try to just reflect on that for a while. I watched a documentary one time on space and it really put Psalms 8 in perspective, it says, When I have behold your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I, God, that you would pursue me, that you would leave the ninety-nine to find this lost soul, that he would come and bear my sin and my judgment for me and wash me clean? He is the creator and author of all things. The very thought is just too much for me to even take in. My God, my Savior, my Lord, my Creator has loved me and pursued me enough. How can I not be affected by it? How can I not be changed? I could spend all day talking about the Father, about His attributes and His characteristics, and I wouldn't even scratch the surface on the magnitude that is God. So I'm going to cut this one short, but I pray that you continue on and seek God, seek his word, seek his nature, 
seek his presence. Please stay tuned for the next episode of the Trinity. The next time we're going to talk about the Spirit of God. Until then, I love you. God's peace on you.